Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Well, hello there. This is Richard and Linda, and we're going to be joined for a few minutes by our daughter, Sadie. And we're at the Hogel Zoo today. We're, in, we're at the zoo with all the kids and the grandkids, and it's a little loud here. You might hear the sound of a dinosaur or a bird show or a gorilla or an elephant. But we figure the ambiance sound will add to the show, right, honey? Absolutely. Happy summer. Wow, we've had quite a summer. We've just come back from Bear Lake, uh, where we've been with 38 people for off and on, in and out for a month. And so uh, there goes the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here with our daughter Sydney, who's here from Boston, uh, with her four little kids, and uh, we're glad to have her because before we launch into what we're doing today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about her travels. She just got back from Europe. And uh, thought she was not going to be able to go, and then suddenly figured out how to make it happen. So, well, let, let me just say though, where the, the topic of today's show is what we should teach our preschoolers. There's so many options out there, and we've got some pretty strong ideas about what preschoolers ought to learn over and above everything else. But we're not in a rush. Let's talk about how do you, how in the world do you take four kids to Europe, mostly all by yourself, Sadie? Preschoolers should go to Europe and learn about <laughs> uh, medieval culture and history. Um, I don't know. That was kind of crazy. We just had the bug to go, and we had friends and family living over there, so we had places to stay. I think that really makes a big difference if you have a place to stay because we had great people take care of us at every stop except for one where we were on our own. Well, so except for four flights that she went on with four kids by herself. <laughs> to get the cheapest tickets, how many stops did you make? Uh, to get over there, we stopped in from Boston to Toronto to Montreal to <laughs> Ireland to England. That was our destination. So that was kind of a crazy day. But I tell you, my kids stepped up to the plate. I warned my big kids lots of times that it was going to be me by myself. When Jeff dropped us off at the airport, uh, Hazel, my oldest, got all the kids together into a little huddle and had some little meeting with them. And I swear the whole time I didn't even drag a suitcase. They were doing all the work. I think that their little meeting was that they wanted me to have a really relaxing trip of it so but I do have a little older kids than I had I we went to England to live in 2012 three years ago and it was a much different story because my kids are much smaller so my youngest now is four and he was able to really kind of hold his own and my oldest was t- is 10 and she's like another little mini adult so one big question a lot of parents have Sadie about traveling with with young kids when you're going largely to expose them to things and see other cultures and so how much of it are they going to remember when they're when they're young? What do you? You've got kids of different ages. What do you think each of them will remember about Europe? That is a great question. I've asked myself that so many times because it's so hard, and you think is this even worth it? Because they're not going to remember anything. But it's interesting because we did that other trip three years ago where we lived in London for six months and we traveled a lot. And um, it's interesting. Hazel was six or seven, I guess, when I went, and she is she remembers a lot. But also I think the pictures bring back a lot of their memories. And even if they don't remember a single thing, I think it becomes the fabric of sort of who they are. They feel this identity and this connection with other cultures and places. And I know I, I, know I went to places before I could remember things. I don't remember very many details except for from pictures, but I still feel like I'm the citizen of the world because I've been to these different places that I don't even remember. But we're hoping that that will kind of, ingrained in them and they'll realize that the world is a bigger place and even if they don't remember a thing I think 
especially when they're really little, to open their minds to this larger world and help them figure out where they are in space and time and history. I think even as a really young, at a really young age, if they don't remember details, they have this different view of the world that they're creating because their brains are so impressionable at that age and that's where they're really figuring out their worldviews. We're, we're chatting a little with our daughter, Sadie, who lives in Boston and who's here with us at the Hogle Zoo today. That's why you're hearing some ambient noises in the background. All the little kids are watching the bird show right now while we do the radio show. Where would you rather be, Linda, the bird show or the radio show? Well, I just saw the bird show last week with a bunch of other grandchildren. So, um, actually, it was just before we left uh, the first of July. So, um, I'm happy to be here. So, great. so, let me segue into what we want to talk about today because it's really related to, I mean, how, how, you know, all of us have read the studies that preschoolers are the most absorbent little intellectual sponges ever and they can learn pretty much anything. And people have proved that. I mean, Preschoolers know how to read now a lot of times. Some know how to do square roots. Some know all kinds of music and so on. I mean, you can really teach a preschooler just about anything. The problem is you can't teach them everything because you have such limited time with them. If you've got a three-year-old or a four-year-old and you know that child's going off to kindergarten at age five, you've got these couple of golden years after they've learned to talk and they can think conceptually and so on. What is the most important thing that you, as a parent or a grandparent, want to focus on with teaching those kids? Now, different people answer that different ways. I think 20 years ago, the prevailing wisdom was, well, let's give them an academic head start. I mean, the best thing we can do for these kids is teach them how to read, teach them how to do a lot of academics so that when they go to school, they'll be ahead and then they'll have this feeling that they're smart and that they can accomplished things. Well, that was just 20 years ago. That's today, too. I think a lot of people feel that way today. I, Although, I, I don't know, I just want to get both your comments on that. I hear more and more people now expressing the sentiment, don't they deserve a childhood? I mean, do we really have to push them into academics when they're three and four years old? Won't there be plenty of time for that? Can't we give them something more enriching and more imaginative and more magical well, they're little kids. What, what do you both think about that? Sadie, I think you'd have a better answer than I would, but I do think, Trump, when your kids are little, you just think, I'm going to be in this forever. Oh, my gosh. When do I get out of this? But, I mean, it, not essentially, but, you know, in those words, there are a lot of days you feel like that. But when you look back, you realize you only have them for a blink. They're only yeah. little preschoolers for a blink. I know, and when people told me that when I when my youngest was turning three and four, I did not believe it. <laughs> but now that my youngest is four, it's making me realize that really it goes by so quick. I'm like, oh my gosh, my oldest is going to be out of the house in eight years. That's less time than she's been alive. So it is really crazy. You realize how fast it goes by and how, you know, so this is with my oldest, I was like, you know, wanting her to go to preschool and get her out of the house. Can't wait until she gets to kindergarten. And now I'm totally on the other side where I'm like, oh, I've got this one year with this little kid at home before he goes to kindergarten. And I'm excited to dive in and do something good with it because it goes by so quickly. Well, you know, one thing we did many years ago when you were just a little preschooler, Sadie, hard to believe how much time that's been. But we, we began asking around and we, we even, one of, the, one of the resources you have as a parent if you want to research a question like this, is kindergarten teachers, first grade teachers. We, we started asking teachers, what 
would you like to have coming into your kindergarten class? And, you know, we, we were fishing a little. We were like, do you like it when a kid comes in and they can already read? Do you like it when a kid comes in and they, they already have a lot of the academic skills mastered that you were planning to teach them? And, um, you know, I, I don't want to generalize because everyone's an individual and different, different teachers have different responses. And I'll check this with you, Linda. You're my fact checker. But I would say that the, the majority of the, the main sentiment from school professionals was, give me a kid who's emotionally and socially well-adjusted, and that's more important to me than how much he's already learned or how well he can play the violin or how well he can uh, do various other things. Not, not to demean any of those things. They're all important. But... We began to think many years ago, Linda, about how can we prepare our children, and then later that spread, to be ready socially and emotionally. And we started, that's, that's really when we started using the word joy as the objective for what to teach preschoolers. Well, it occurred to me one day that, you know, we talk so much about IQ, intelligence portion, and I think we don't think enough about JQ, which is the joy quotient. How much joy are these kids able to feel and remember from their childhood? Um, I had an idyllic childhood up in Montpelier, Idaho, where there was hardly a thing to do. I don't know how I managed Hardly a thing to do except uh, gather eggs and ride horses. And yeah, and weed the garden and pick the peas and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I shouldn't say that because we worked really hard and practiced. Practiced the piano, practiced violin. It was always that to do, but I loved my childhood, and everybody didn't have that opportunity, but to give these kids some magic while they're little. And looking back, that's what I had was magic, but I didn't realize it at the time. So I don't know whether you, the kids really internalize how much joy they're feeling, but I think I think in some ways they do. Well, I, think it, well, yeah. I think at this age, too, it's when their connections and the synapses and everything in their brain are starting to fire, and it's when you're really starting... To train those pathways in the brain about how they see life and how they see the world. And, um, I think if you're just trying to train the academic part of it, it's great. But if you're trying to train the happiness part of it, you know, there's so much out there right now in the field of happiness and trying to find fulfillment and joy in life. And I think this is really where it begins, where you start creating those pathways in the brain that can register happiness and positive things rather than the negative stuff. Yeah, it's so interesting what you just said, Sadie. There is I mean, the whole field of happiness, if you can call it a field, is just booming right now. You read so much on studies and scientific efforts to, to, to dissect happiness and to see what makes it up and so on. Somebody told me the other day, and maybe this will be a segue to what we want to get in in the second half of the show. Someone said to me, Linda, you, you and Linda were ahead of your time when you invented, is the word they used, I don't know if we invented it, but when you started Joy Schools 30 years ago, because again, our conclusion was not an academic or research conclusion, it was just based on our personal desires. We wanted to have a program for our own kids where they would learn various joys, and I should define that. I mean, that sounds pretty pie in the sky to a lot of people, but we were thinking of things like the joy of imagination and creativity, the joy of of, of putting things in order and having a simple goal, the joy of sharing and serving other people, the joy of communication and honesty and, and with other kids, as well as the obvious ones like the joy of the earth and the joy of the body and so on. 
and and we really we really slanted heavily away from academic preschools, maybe too much. Although later we added some things to the curriculum on kindergarten readiness. Well, yes, we do have a kindergarten readiness manual ready, so that they do have to be ready. They do have to be confident about what they know and what, you know, and they how to write their name and letters and so on. And some of them are natural readers. They learn to read early and others aren't, and that's okay. So we're going to go to a brief break, and then we're going to come back. We're, we're, we're broadcasting from the Hogel Zoo today, so you're going to hear some dinosaurs and some screeching monkeys and so on. But we've got our daughter, Sadie Shumway, from Boston, who's somewhat of an expert in my mind on preschool education, at least with her own kids. And we're going to talk more about Joy School, what it is, what it means, and why we think it's the best alternative for preschoolers. We'll be right back after this message. Iyer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hi, we're back. We are on the road at the zoo today. There are so many parents here. It's a good place to talk about parenting. But today we have our daughter, Sadie, with us, who is living in Boston and who has four little children of her own and all totally different personalities. So she's a great resource for us. We're so glad to have her. So let me frame a question for you, Sadie. So in the first half of the show, we talked about how preschoolers are so absorbent, they can learn most anything. What is the thing to teach them? And we kind of tipped our hand, and, and a lot of people know that Richard and Linda Iyer are the founders of Joy School, and that we believe that it's these social and emotional joys that put kids in the best position to go into school and, and really to go into life. And, you know, I'm not trying to sell that philosophy to everyone because some people feel a little, little differently. But what would you say, not necessarily about Joy School per se, but about the whole idea of trying to help little kids have a real childhood while you've got them before you send them off to school? Well, like I was saying, I think number one, it goes by so quick, and you don't really realize that until one has gone by quickly. But number two, I think that you've got to, um, just like my dad said, the most impressionable time of their lives. And I really feel like it's when they're setting all their patterns for how their emotional health is going to be for the rest of their lives. And I think if you can set some really good patterns of how to absorb happiness and um, find fulfillment and joy from things that you're going to have to do for the rest of your lives, like making decisions and working hard and sharing and all these kinds of things, then you're, you're... you're setting your brain up to be in a place where you can absorb the intellectual sort of academic stuff that you're going to get once you get to school. So I just think it's, I, of course, I was, <laughs> grew up Iyer. <laughs> My middle name is Joy. I think I was named after Joy School. <laughs> no, um, Joy School is named after you. <laughs> but I just think it's so important to sort of kids, not just experiences and lessons and things like that, but to talk about how to experience joy in life, but give them the vocabulary and help them understand, like, just uh, a way to talk about why these these things that are really important that a lot of, I think a lot of child, a lot of kids just kind of, you know, they absorb it because they're kids, and kids just want to absorb joy. But I think when you're deliberately talking about it as a parent and teaching it in a little school, it makes them realize this is something legitimate. It's not just something that I am just coming up with because I feel joy and I'm a kid. This is something that adults are also recognizing that's important in life. So I think those two steps, because I think all kids are going to find a way to find joy because that's just how they're wired. But I think when you're actually talking about it and teaching about it, 
makes a really big difference. And I love that Joy School comes from me as a mother, too. Actually, one of the things I love about teaching Joy and Joy School is that it helps you as a mom rediscover these joys that you learned, as, as not, you know, even if you didn't go to Joy School as a kid, but that you felt as a child helps you rediscover them. And, and um, I'm not really a natural sort of mom and that I'm really good at playing or imagining with my kids, but Joy School gave me those tools to be able to do that. And I love that too. You know, if I sent them to another Joy School, it would have been great. They would have learned that, but I wouldn't have been able to learn how to do that myself with my children. So I, I love that part of it. Well, and that is when, as the dinosaur roars again at the zoo. It kind of they... feels like the inside of your brain <laughs> as she's talking about the brain. He's spitting uh, water at us, and uh, this is a crazy place. But that's, it is. I love what Sadie just said about the setup of the brain. It really is when they're set up. They're sponges, and whatever you teach them, they soak in like a sponge. Whether it's they become uh, hardwired. Yeah, I mean, if you help them understand all this stuff as a kid, it becomes their natural instinct to choose happiness and choose, you know, the joyful parts of life rather than. Well, and I should say, one, one reason Joy School's on our minds so much right now is that uh, I'll give you a 30-second history and then tell you why we're thinking about it, especially today. 30 years ago, it was my mother, while we were living in England, we had written a book called Teaching Your Children, Teaching Your Children Joy, and while we were in England for three years, my mother, bless her heart, Ruth Byer, took that book on teaching your children joy and developed it. She was an early childhood education specialist. She'd always wanted a preschool, and she took that joy book and made it into a complete joy school curriculum, complete with 12 units, each on a different kind of joy, and opened an experimental joy school in Logan, Utah, and the rest is history. It grew and developed, and it wasn't commercial joy schools. It was mothers, just like you were saying, Sadie, getting together with this curriculum, rotating as the teacher, and teaching their children a couple times a week for three or four hours in the morning out of these various joys. And it really was an idea whose time had come. And now there have been over 200,000 families who have participated in joy school. But the point is, while we're thinking about it right now, is all good things eventually get dated. And those joy school lessons after 30 years were a little frayed at the edges. I mean, you can only talk about dial telephones and other things of the past too often before you realize you're dealing with an old curriculum. So Sadie Saren and Sadie's sister-in-law, Asia, went to work and revised all these lesson plans. And for the first time this fall, we're ready to go with those. People can now use them in their neighborhood joy school. So we're, we're pretty happy about that. I have to say, um, the curriculum that my grandma came up with, though, is that I'm, I'm, they yeah. kept a lot of it intact while sort of updating the things that need to be updated. It, she's just she's got a mind for little kids. I still, the other day I was talking to my little four-year-old with my six-year-old who went through joy school, telling my four-year-old about how he was going to start joy school this year. And um, and I was talking about this one lesson about using your brain to think and and Emmeline, my six-year-old, remembered every detail of that story. And I, mean, I remember when I was teaching it, thinking, this is the quirkiest, weirdest little story. But there's something about my grandma's brain that just understood kids and what they would remember and what they would latch on to. And Emmeline still, you know, if I have to talk to her about how her brain and how she used to figure things out and, 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 and figure out problems, she remembers that story every time because of the way, it was, the way that it was presented. And so a lot of that old school um, really tapped into what kids really need stuff is still in there, even though 
the other stuff has been revised. Did, did she sing, Fred, Fred, yeah. use your head, figure it out, Mother said? Yes, and the so. songs, oh, the songs are still in there, right, Dad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The songs were fantastic. My kids remember all the words and those things. When you, I tell you, when you te- even when you teach this in three and four, you remember it for the rest of your life. Oh, and that, that was the, the challenge Sarah and our daughter and Asia, our daughter-in-law, had in revising these was, was to preserve that original magic that those joy school lessons had, but to just update them and sort of add, make them in, you know, 2015. And boy, they did a good job. Um, it's been so fun. I've just been editing them because I did one of the years years back, and uh, it really was. It's incredible the things that they learn, and it makes it so easy now. They've you know these wonderful computer minds that these moms got. You can just click on the illustration, and it shows it to you. You can print it out, or you can show it to the kids without printing it out on a computer. You come to the music, you just click on the music, and there's the music exactly as it was. 20 years ago. So we don't want this to sound like a, an advertisement for Joy because one thing you should know is that Joy Schools work like a co-op. Moms essentially share the cost of the development and the distribution and editing and so on of these lesson plans. And then the moms who are the teachers, and I, I think you start to say something about that, Sadie, that, that you know, if you're going to, I mean, you want to teach your own child as much as you can. But at the same time, you may not feel qualified to be their only teacher. What better other teachers to have than your very best friends who are the other moms in the Joy School group? And that's where your kid is going if they're not with you in your own home. Well, I, Sadie, I think you were going to tell a story. You, you started telling me a story about um, your darling little four-year-old, and then it kind of got lost. Somebody, something happened, and we, I never heard the end of it. Um, share that with us. It's not like the greatest story ever, but I was just—I was just explaining it to him. Um, I had—I anyway, I'm doing the joy school for the first time with him, and so I was just explaining some of it to him. And just later that night, I, I told him we're going to do joy school, and he just raised both his hands up in the air and said, "Yes, I'm so excited!" <laughs> and I think that just captured the joy that he feels, and to, like I was saying before, to be able to acknowledge that as a mom and acknowledge it as something super important, just as important as learning your letters and learning your numbers and all these other things that he's hearing from outside sources and from me, I think to acknowledge that, like, I'm going to tap into this joy that you feel with you, and he is just thrilled. He talks about it every single day, how he's going to do joy school. And so, Pito, I call, his name's Peter, and I call him Pito, and I, I wish I could be there to see Pito and Joy Scroll. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be great. And uh, truthfully, I'm in a place right now in Boston where I don't have a lot of other moms with little kids Peter's age, so I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to work, but I am best determined to do it, even if it's just me and him. And I actually think that would be kind of a great thing, too. That's what I like about this sort of idea. You can do it just as a family. You can do it with your friends. You can do it in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be, you know, this structured thing. You know, it's great if it's that, too. So I just, I think there's a lot of ways to do it. But I'm just excited about the content because I just feel like it's so important before they leave your home and go into the big world to, you know, have this common language about uh, this emotional intelligence that really is the most important thing and the key to happiness for our kids. Well, and I think you're right. A mom, we do have a lot of moms that do joy school all by themselves. But for most, to have a, a mother's group has a lot of ancillary benefits because the moms have a mating. They they draw closer to each other, they share their teaching methods, and the kids rotate between those homes. And of course, the big thing is, um, you know, someone told us, and I'm, I'm going on a calculation that, that has some assumptions, but the Joy School costs about 1 20th of a typical preschool. 
And of course, the reason is that the moms do the teaching. There is no paid person teaching, and and they rotate it around, and that seems to really work out well. But again, well, and and I just should say, coming from the experience I've had, there's so many ways. And I know you don't want this to be an advertisement for Joyce, but it's hard no, not to no, because I, I love it so yeah. much. But there's so many ways to use that curriculum, or to use or to incorporate teaching your child joy, even if you never even get the Joy School curriculum. There's so many ways to do this, but um, I think in my experience, I had my first daughter only did Joy School. My second son, he was offered a free spot at a really good free school, so he did free school and Joy School together. You know, there's so many different oh, ways to do it. You know, I've done, in fact, I'm thinking of having my oldest 10-year-old help me with Peter doing Joy School this year because I want her to remember all this stuff. And so I think there's just so many different ways to use these materials that aren't just the traditional way to we just got about 90 seconds left. I'll let you wrap up. But, but again, what we've been trying to do today from the zoo here in Salt Lake City while our kids or grandkids are at the bird show is to talk about this important subject of what do you teach preschoolers because you have to decide and have a philosophy of what you want them to learn. And so we've been talking about teaching them joy. But we also need to tell you where to go if you do want to look at this. There are sample lesson plans. There are sample so you can look at it, decide, share with your friends or whatever. And that is? Joyschools with an S dot com or valuesparenting.com. And, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of samples on there, and, and people can learn how it would be to have their own joy school. So we just want you to know that we are joy advocates. I think you probably know that by now, but we have talked to so many parents who said this has changed the life of my child, but not only my child, me as well. I have really learned how to enjoy my children's childhood. And so, um, you know, whether that's your thing or not, we have a friend who's saying, oh, no, I'm not creative. You don't have to be creative at all. It's every five minutes they tell you what to do. All the art activities are there, so just take a look at it. And we'll also have it put on uh, BYU radio um, website so that you know how to get to it. Well, and even if you're not a person that has a preschooler right now, get in the habit every once in a while of visiting Linda and I at valuesparenting.com because that site's been redone too, and it's a good way for you to send your feedback to us and for us to get back to you. And Sadie, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Fun to talk about this. We'll see you next time on Hires on the Road.